Because of that MRI background, I was able to put together this team of scientists and engineers that said, okay, let's work on this now because I think this is it. Today when I look at you, you seem to me, okay, this man has done it, he's doing it, like... He's amazing. So it's not an easy thing to say, oh, I'm going to stop cardiology (laughs) and do do green technology as a startup. You know, parents are like, what did we pay all that money for your tuition? What about Jawans in the military who are going into dangerous environments where, you know, there could be hazards from explosions? You know, I had people who were like uh, rickshaw wallas, auto wallas, taxi drivers, uh, shoe cobblers. I wanted technology that was safe, that was reliable and affordable. NASA had contacted us because they were looking at projects for their next space mission. Is there a technology that can provide clean air at scale to the autowala, to the rickshaw drivers, to the shoe cobbler, to the ladies standing at the vegetable mandi? Welcome to another episode of The Climbpreneur Show. What if I tell you there's a technology that can provide clean air at scale, that's affordable, that's reliable, and that's been created by someone who has studied medicine for 15 years, a cardiologist who has made his way to the green technology. Presenting to you, Dr. Shrikan Sola, someone who has created revolutionary technology that's solving air pollution. The technology that uses radio pulse wave inspired by the cardiac ultrasound that he used to perform on a daily basis. Tune in to listen to the entire conversation. The conversation is going to awe you and inspire you in so many beautiful ways. While you get awed by the charm, by the aura, by the technology that Dr. Shrikan's bring to us, please do not forget to hit the subscribe button. So welcome Dr. Shrikant on The Climbpreneur Show. I'm excited to have you here. And before this, I was actually reading about, you know, what you're creating. Uh, Like, I genuinely feel that you're giving people, like, you're adding lives to the ears of so many people. And especially at the moment when the air quality is so bad out there. The way you are creating solutions, that to me is inspiring and incredible. Thanks, Swet. It's lovely to be here and, and happy to share what we've learned with your audience. So, like, tell me how easy your journey was and how long have you been doing this? It's been anything but easy. (laughs) Uh, I used to do triathlons when I was in college, and uh, it's very much like that. You know, we say the startup journey is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. I think it's actually more like a triathlon and not a marathon, because in marathons you're running. um, In triathlons, you're doing several different things. And running a startup is kind of like the same. You don't need to be an expert in everything, but you need to know something about finance, something about marketing, something about sales. And in green technology, most of the startups that we see, and including Davic Earth, were hardware startups. We say software-enabled hardware, but it's essentially a hardware startup. And that means it takes much longer to develop your technology, takes much longer to get customer feedback and improve it. And that means that the journey is much longer. So yeah, it's it's not a marathon. It's not even a sprint. It's a triathlon. You have to be ready for, for whatever comes your way. Were you ready for whatever came your way? Like when you started, did you know it all? Not at all. Not at all. We started Devic Earth in 2018. And we actually started thinking about the company uh, in 2016. Now, remember that I'm coming as a cardiologist who spent like 15 years just studying medicine and and cardiology just to get to that point. So it's not an easy thing to say, oh, I'm going to stop cardiology and do (laughs) do green technology as a startup. You know, parents are like, what did we pay all that money for your tuition for? You know, that kind of stuff. But they could see. 
that this was what I what I was very passionate about. How it started was when I moved from the United States to India in 2008, and I was seeing way, way, way too many young patients with heart disease due to air pollution. And fortunately, I had a very strong biomedical engineering background. Yeah. In fact, some of the technology that I helped to develop are now in use in hundreds of thousands of patients across the across the world every year. So it's very satisfying. So I knew we could do it, but what I wanted to do was to create something that would help my patients. You know, I had people who were like uh, rickshaw wallas, auto wallas, taxi drivers, uh, shoe cobblers. I wanted technology that would benefit them, that would bring clean air to them. And so we had to create technology that would provide clean air at scale, that was safe, that was reliable and affordable as well. You know, like you mentioned that you are a cardiologist and like you loved what you did and you are like loving what you're doing even now. But how easy or how difficult was that switch because when you love something and you're just like even making yourself understand that okay maybe I'm like going to do this now so a this and b when like you said that your parents were also you know like there are doubts obviously when you're going for a new thing so you know did you had that fear in mind were you scared that I'm just trying to do something different like how was your mindset during that point of time sure I think it came maybe serendipitously but you know, the technology that we developed, we tried everything, by the way. When we started in 2008, we looked at filters and fans. We looked at this type of approach. We looked at ionizers. Nothing worked at scale. They're all useful in small areas, outdoors. But what I was looking at is, again, that taxi driver, that rickshaw wala, that auto driver, that shoe cobbler, the person, um, the lady at the, the vegetable mandi. This is what we wanted to, to serve. Um, and the technology that we eventually developed uses pulsed radio waves. Now, basically, it's very simple. Normally, pollutant particles like PM10 and 2.5, what happens to them is because of naturally occurring forces, they collide with each other. And because of now they're larger and heavier, they settle to the ground. All of this saw this during the pandemic when we didn't wash our car or two-wheeler for a couple of days. We had a layer of dust, right? So this process of this pollutant particles colliding and settling, scientists call dry deposition. What we've done with our pulsed radio technology is is pulse the radio waves in such a way that this whole process is just sped up by about six to seven fold. Now, people ask me, well, you're a cardiologist. How did you develop pulsed radio wave (laughs) technology? And I said, well, see, pulsed radio wave for pollution control has actually been around since 1971, but in water. And we adapted it for air. They said, okay, that's fine. But how did you, as a cardiologist, develop pulse radio wave technology for air? And I said, see, I am a cardiologist. Uh, I'm still a cardiologist. uh, (laughs) And my specialty is MRI scanning of the heart. And how does MRI take those beautiful pictures of the organs that doctors use to diagnose conditions by using pulsed radio waves? And given that background, that specialty, I was then able to say, okay, if we pulse like this, we can make X, Y, Z happen. And that's how the technology was able to progress. So it was something that I was doing in medicine, uh, very technical, very scientific, but able to then correlate it or rather translate it into uh, pollution control technology. 
and how you know how amazing is that like the way you've actually applied that you know that concept like there are things around each one of us but how often do we think that deeply i think probably because we're already you have already identified you already knew that i wanted to do something for say the rickshaw puller for an auto exactly. driver or a taxi driver so you know while you had the intent what did it actually take to convert this intent into devaker because you had the idea i also read somewhere that this technology took like 10 years to develop exactly yes so what were those 10 years like or wo 10 saal wali patience kahan se aayi it was the first few years honestly were a string of failures we tried uh, purifying type systems we tried systems without air purifiers we tried ionizers and they all work to some degree but again how do we get something that covers kilometers together you know delhi uh, ncr region is 1800 square kilometers how do we get something that can at least cover 100 200 maybe 500 square kilometers so that lakhs or even millions of people are benefited that's what i wanted to do and again because of that mri background i was able to put together this team of scientists and engineers that said okay let's work on this now because i think this is it and that string of failures we learned from each one and then that became a string of successes that's how it happened and we got funding from the ministry of environment and forest we got technical support from the cpcb then some industries started to give funds some academic organizations gave scientific support and pretty soon we had this technology that was like wow <laughs> and then i realized that you know i can as a cardiologist i can treat maybe 50 100 people a day if i, I kill myself in opd in, in clinic uh, and in the the various parts of the hospital but with this technology i can actually benefit hundreds of thousands of people every year and that's how devic earth was started air pollution causes 7 million premature deaths every year we want to save at least 1 million lives what a pure cause is it and even you know the word devic earth like it has that kind i don't know like i feel it has that kind of divinity to it and now like when you mentioning this cause like it just feels surreal to me also you know like i wanted like know from you that while uh, i was reading this like uh, you know this research which mentioned that uh, air pollution also has effects on your heart and like how does air pollution affects our hearts i just want to know well unfortunately when we breathe in pollutants you know the bigger stuff gets filtered in the nose and the upper airways but it's the microscopic pollutants the things that are too small for us to see uh scientists call them pm10 and 2.5 and there are other pollutants as well but we'll focus on these two because they're the most common and most important from a health perspective they get into the lungs and because they're so tiny they can actually pass that that uh, blood barrier that's in the lungs and get into the body and from there it's like a metro they just get sent all across the body so they affect right from the brain where they cause alzheimers and stroke and dementia um to cancers to Uh, throat cancer to lung disease to heart disease they trigger this process called inflammation which is kind of like smoke or fire and this inflammation can cause a lot of damage now there's other pathways that they use to cause cancers but in the heart they just line up the arteries of the body and it, it's like a parade where everything has gone wrong they just create blockages and that leads to heart attacks which is what i was seeing on a regular basis in my cardiology practice and would you say that like f- to people who actually know this space to understand this space to come up more and more probably like you 
to create solutions for this like there is a lot to do there's a lot to be done in green technology and i really feel that india is poised to uh, not only the green tech companies and startups can not only make india a pollution free country but that india can lead the world in green technologies to create happen. a pollution free world it will happen look at all the companies that you've interviewed i mean there's so many brilliant minds doing great work and it's at a nascent stage but solar energy renewable energy was at a very nascent stage just 10 years ago it was too expensive they said but look at what's happened now right and the same thing will happen with green technology initially it will say it's too costly or oh, we don't capture enough uh, carbon to really make a difference in climate change remediation etc that's true today but look at what will happen uh, with say with solar um, look at what happened with biotechnology 15 years ago look at what happened with it 20 years ago and where it is now green technology is on that same path also you know like we were discussing this earlier also that this is hard so you know while we can say things like okay in the coming decade like yesterday only someone was mentioning to me that you are literally uh, like you know sitting on a gold mine and like you know okay that's true probably that probably in the coming decade you know climate like everyone will be working in the climate economy but how do you keep that patience inside you how do you tell your mind how do you tell yourself ki hey let's just keep working and because it's hard it's genuinely hard it's hard you know green technology is, is not for the the meek of heart you have to have a lot of uh, resilience uh you have to have a lot of optimism <laughs> you need a lot of uh support from family uh from friends from your colleagues and well-wishers uh you need a community around you to celebrate your wins and when you have losses when you have failures to help you to learn from them because they will happen when you're dealing with technology especially hardware that's so new uh it takes more time to develop them and what happens is that green tech startups often don't have the resources that say a multi-billion dollar mnc might have so but but and this is the key thing we can move much faster you see the difference between startups and multinational corporations is that startups will focus first on progress versus procedure whereas the big companies will focus first on procedure and then progress so because we don't have those same constraints we can progress much more rapidly than perhaps a large company can and we can change we can improve our technology we can modify our approach david earth has changed so much initially we thought clean air is for everybody let's go sell to <laughs> shopping malls and restaurants and all these things and then we realized you know what that's not their real domain that's not their area of expertise and then we narrowed our focus we said heavy industries and governments these are the people where uh, where pollution is created or they have a great need and that's worked really well for us those kind of refinements will come in time and today at what all places are you working we work a lot with uh, heavy industries so for example in cement companies uh, we've helped a number of companies to bring down pollution levels by 30 50 or even 70% in heavy food processing industries so edible oil companies where pollution is created from the burning of the raw materials we've brought pollution down by 70 to 90% same thing for factories same thing for steel and other companies what's really exciting is the work that we've been doing in cities recently so with uh, the city of lucknow in up we've done an installation that covers 25 square kilometers providing clean air that's about 30 to 50% cleaner than otherwise for more than 2 lakh people 
And, you know, that's something that makes me real proud. Um, when we get blessings from them, you know, that thank you for bringing clean air to us, that's something that, that, that is, is precious beyond measure. You know, that's amazing and also I just I want to know this thing from you that while when you like long back you created this technology today of course you have collaborations you have places you are, who are actually installing your technology but how did the first installation happened and what did it take to convince the first person to have your technology you know the first customer was the Airtel Delhi half marathon wow. way back in 2018 <laughs> and they had a need they had a real pain and we were able to identify that pain and provide them with a solution, and we were able to do it quickly, right? Uh, that then led to other successes, slowly, slowly, slowly. It also led to other failures. It also led to other mistakes. Um, but then we sat back, we learned, we iterated, we improved, we made more mistakes. Again, we learned, we iterated, and improved. That's how things get. If you look at, let's say, um, what's Tata Motors' best-selling car? The Tata Indica, right? If you look at every taxi on the street, that's the most common vehicle that's used. But when it was launched way back in the 1990s, it was terrible. There were so many recalls. There were so many repairs. There were so many you know faults in the vehicle but Tata fixed it they improved it and now it's actually a great car for value for money yes. it's a very reliable vehicle and it's used by hundreds of thousands of buyers uh, every year so this is the journey that every startup is going to make one thing though that helped us beyond anything else is we said we can't be an island of excellence we have to collaborate we have to collaborate. So we were lucky to get work with BHP, the world's largest mining company. They gave us a research grant which supported work at IIT Kanpur at the National Aerosol Laboratory to help us understand exactly how this technology works, how it can be improved, both in the laboratory as well as in the field. We then started working with others at IIT Madras. We started working with government officials, other stakeholders to say, hey, this is what we're doing. Let's collaborate together within the parameters and things that are important to you, but let's collaborate. And for green tech startups to succeed, they have to collaborate, whether with other industry partners, with academia, with government. Um, this is the only way that green tech is going to move forward and succeed. Oh, definitely, it's there. Also, on your journey, what was maybe the most challenging part, what was the part where probably you had self-doubt? Because today when I look at you, you seem to me, okay, this man has done it, he's doing it, like, he's amazing. But I'm sure you have had your moments of lows, your sure. moments of doubts. Sure. Like, give me some instances from your own journey. You know, ours is a tech product, right? And how it works is we have an antenna and some hardware that sends out pulsed radio waves. And it's that antenna is something that we, we designed, we modified from other, uh, there's different types of antennas that can be used. We basically put several types of antennas into one. Now, one time we did an installation and this was after the truck, the lorry was driving to the factory for the installation. It got a flat tire and fell off into a ditch and we're like, oh man. <laughs> anyway, the lorry driver fixed the flat tire. He reached the installation. We did the installation. Everything went fine. But afterwards, nothing happened. It wasn't working. And when we went back, we realized that during that fall into the ditch, the antenna had become dislodged. 
And because it was dislodged, obviously it wasn't able to send the radio signals that were required. These kind of things we learned early on. And then we, of course, made the system more robust so that it was vibration-proof, fall-proof. You could throw it on the ground and nothing would happen. Those kind of things we started working on. But those, uh, they, it really makes your heart drop when you're, <laughs> as a cardiologist, I'm saying this, we're like, oh man, it's not working, how come? And then you realize this, but then you're like, oh, okay, you know, it comes back to science at the end of the day. It's always going to be based on science. It's going to be based on engineering and how do you make that, um, how do you apply and optimize those processes? That's, that's what we're learning and s still learning today. But that would you say that that truck incident actually make made all your you know technology you know like you can throw them you can do anything but it won't break. It shouldn't break. It yes, should, like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, well, in one city, for example, we had problems with monkeys, and uh, this was in UP where they and these monkeys are really big monkeys. They're not the small friendly monkeys. They're like the kind that will break into your you know water tank and you know on the top of your building. So in this particular city, they put cages on top of that. So we thought, okay, well, we have to. We didn't. It didn't occur to us. We had one of our antennas on top of the unit at that time, and then we just saw these monkeys are going to come and go putting like this and pull off our antenna this is not going to work <laughs> because we need that antenna to understand where our devices are and what's happening to them everything is iot controlled and, and monitored then we had to make our system monkey proof and then we had to make it human monkey proof because you know human monkeys are also there and they can steal products and things like that it happens so we had to make it theft resistant and all those things as well Give me some more instances, like I'm loving it, like the way it's coming. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I think every startup has to face is that uh, customers are going to be happy and customers are not going to be happy. And for various reasons, we're very clear that our technology takes care of PM10 and PM2.5. These are the particle pollutants that are uh, they're regulated by authorities across the country. Um, they cause damage to health. The larger particles, the, the dust that we can see, they, don't, they get filtered here. They don't get into the body. And because of that, they're not regulated by authorities. But we've had some customers come back to us and say, but you know, we can still see the dust there. And so having to explain this and really learning to refine our communication, saying, well, that's true. Dust is going to be there, but the PM10 and 2.5 component is is much reduced. And this is the measurements done by an independent environmental monitoring agency, which have shown that we don't do measurements on our own. We have a third-party agency come in and do the measurements with their hi-fi uh, monitoring equipment. So those kind of, you know, how do you make sure that you identify the customer's pain? How do you make sure that you're addressing their needs? And how do you make sure those are communicated effectively? These are lessons that we're constantly learning. We're, st we're still learning how to do this um, to make sure that uh, we provide a great experience for each and every one of our customers. And you know, while you were building this, like, of course, you had like grants coming in and funds coming in. Were you profitable? We're still not profitable. Um, and that's that's a fact. But we can see that path ahead of us. It's like, uh, as I mentioned, the marathon or triathlon analogy. We've been running a long race. We finished the swim, okay, in the triathlon. We finished the bike part of the triathlon. Now we're in the running part. <laughs> and the, the finish line is profitability. And then you realize, well, actually, once you finish that race, there's more races to run. But at least we can see the finish line ahead of us. And, 
you know, one of the responsibilities of a co-founder is is you need to divide up your responsibilities and have those responsibilities clearly demarcated amongst each co-founder. Who's going to be in charge of tech? Who's going to be in charge of finance? Because somebody has to mind the bank and make sure you don't run out of money, make sure that you can make payroll and all the other things. Who's going to be in charge of fundraising? Because that's almost like a full-time job. And we were fortunate in that between the three co-founders, we had very strong complementary skills so that each could focus on their area of strength. And, you know, like I read this somewhere that you're also working like with NASA for a project, you know, that reduces lunar dust. So, like, tell me more about it, like what lunar dust is, why is it harmful and uh, what kind of, you know, say like what kind of technology you're building for it or. Yeah, sure. You know, these are projects that that, you know, generate a lot of excitement. NASA had contacted us because they were looking at projects for their next space mission to reduce lunar dust. And we started working with them and then the project got canceled because of funding from the uh, U.S. Congress budget cuts. That's okay, because in that process, again, we learn so much. Now we've been contacted uh, with, with ISRO for the same thing. But looking ahead, you know, then we started thinking, well, shoot, you know, our first Pure Skies unit was 220 kilograms. I mean, it was huge. It was like a big box that weighed a ton. And then we made one that was the size of a fridge. Then we made one that's the size of a microwave oven. Now we're making small ones that are the size of your car keychain. That's going to be a wearable device. You just clip it onto your backpack, onto your uh, briefcase. Um, you can take it with you to school, uh, to work. Um, to entertainment venues, to sporting events, wherever you go, and it'll give you a 10-meter radius of clean air wherever you travel, you know, and that's, that's amazing. Now, can we then say, okay, it's a great B2C product, right? But think beyond that box. What about Jawans in the military who are going into dangerous environments where, you know, there could be hazards from explosions and so forth? What about people working in heavily polluted industrial zones where they might need to go into those environments? And obviously they'll be wearing respiratory masks and all of those things. But if they can further reduce the pollution around them, that makes it that much safer. So thinking outside the box with these kind of things, it, it just helps you to create, we're going to create for B2C, but we're also going to create a maybe a heavier duty or product for uh, people working on the apron side of airports, you know, who are exposed to all those jet uh, fuel fumes every day in their line of work. So out of the box thinking, innovation, able you're creating an environment where it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're learning from them. That's that's key to our growth. And you know, like I have two points to ask you here. One, like it happens, like but a lot many of us sometimes and like an opportunity comes away or something and we just get so much excited so much happy about okay finally you know it just came our way and then probably doesn't work like for example in your case you know what happened with the funds so us time did you feel, do you feel bad you know just came we we're working on it and how do you know these like, things yeah you know it's like when you if you're in sales how many um leads do you need to get a sale. Maybe your conversion rate is 20%, 15%, 25%. Generally, your conversion rate should not be more than 30% or else your pricing is too low. That's common wisdom. Um, but it's sort of like that. You may have a number of projects. Not all of them will succeed. Look at what Google has done. I mean, Google's pathway to success 
being the largest, uh, one of the largest internet companies in the world now, is littered with failures. More than 160 plus projects have failed, things that we don't even know about, but they've learned from each one. So even if we find that a project starts very promisingly, it doesn't materialize as expected, we can still learn from that. And that's, that's the, again, that's the path to innovation. You will make mistakes. You will have failures. You will have setbacks. A deal that's about to close will suddenly collapse. But you have to learn from each of those and then progress, progress. As long as you keep moving forward, you're in good shape. And also you were talking about like you're doing the same project with Istro. My question to you here is similar that what like, why is lunar dust a problem? You know, unlike the Earth, which has weather, you know, these asteroids or meteors that hit the moon long time ago, they broke into dust, but there's no weather. So what happens is this dust that's on the surface, it doesn't get weatherized. It remains very sharp. And earlier what they found was that when this uh, lunar craft was landing on the surface, this dust would raise up and it would actually cause abrasion or damage to the sensitive instruments on those lunar craft. Um, and because it's the moon, the gravity is less, so that dust would rise up and it would stay there. And it would, you know, circulate around the earth, you know, the, around the surface of the moon or in that particular area, really without settling down. And so as long as the craft was in that area, or even as it was traveling, it would create this path of dust that caused problems for these craft. These are unique issues to uh, lunar craft that have to be addressed. Now, the exciting thing is when you're creating for these kind of harsh environments, the requirements are totally different, right? It has to be lightweight. It has to be, uh, have a lot of redundancies, the technology has to be very robust uh, and this is cool for us because it helps us to think and push the boundaries of what we're already doing you know like it sounds amazing and like did you ever thought that one day devik earth would not just be solving for earth but outside of it like for the space like if like it just makes me feel that you know like like what a brilliant you know the where you are today, did you ever thought that you would be doing this when you started out? When it comes to green technology, what we realized is literally the sky is the limit. We started our, our flagship product is called Pure Skies, uses pulse radio waves for cleaning up the air across large areas. It works great. We've had 100 plus installations. Cool. But pulse radio wave technology started with water. And in those days, if you can imagine the 1970s, it's sort of like how cell phones we have now, which are so sleek and small. Look at the cell phones from the late 1980s or 1990s. They have this huge brick size, you know, devices that didn't work really well. Um, the pulse radio of tech is kind of like that. The, the antennas they had back then, how they pulse, it was very crude compared to what we're doing now. So now we're getting back into that, helping to bring back clean water technology for ponds, lakes and rivers so that we can improve water security. We have another technology which shows great promise in carbon capture, and that is actually uh, for direct air capture, direct capture of carbon from the atmosphere. And that's amazing because we can look at, wow, we can work on air, we can work on water, we can work on climate. And this is how successful startups need to think. Don't box your in yourself too tight, right? And don't go too broad as well. Remember that we can do anything, but you can't do everything. That's really key. We can do anything, but you can't do everything. Have a, an area of focus, do that really well. And then once you get to a certain stage, you can start looking at other things as well. Where do you get that calmness from? Like, I'm, 
I'm odd with it. Like I wish I had that. <laughs> I wish I have this kind of calm. Like my team will be so much at peace if I get this kind of calmness. You know, I've been practicing meditation since 1990 when I was 1990. around 18 or 19. Yeah, so for about however many years that is, and that keeps me calm. But what we do at Devik Earth is interesting. We can't say, "Hey, everybody, you have to meditate and you know chant Omkar and all." We don't do that. But what we do say is, we say, "You know what? There's great value in being able to work very deeply." Um, in fact, there's been books written about it called deep work, and deep work just means that work that is your highest value work um, that gives you the greatest results, as opposed to non-deep work, which would be things like answering emails, replying to phone calls, scheduling meetings, or preparing for meetings, following up for meetings, and those are all important. But it's that deep work that really gives you the biggest bang for your buck. So what we said is, okay, every day from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., this is our deep work period. No phone calls. No emails, no meetings, which made a lot of people happy. <laughs> None of the the other stuff that your your cell phones have to be on silent. We can't hear the pings from your phone whenever you get a message. Your laptops have to be on silent. This is your deep work time. Plan your work and then work your plan. This is what I keep telling: plan your work and then work your plan. So everyone is expected to follow this. And what we've seen is that productivity has increased. People are able to get a lot more work done, and if we do have meetings, they occur either first thing in the day or the last part of the day at four o'clock or something like that. Then we realized, hmm, we can change the structure of deep work. You know, we can change the structure of work itself. We can get rid of um, distractions, right? We can get rid of distractions. We can do training, but unless people inwardly. Are able to remain focused, then it won't happen. So then I started working with the junior team, and we just worked on mindfulness, simple practices like mindful eating, mindful breathing, mindful phone calls, mindful meetings, and you could see the difference that it makes. Our, you know, our sales team, our business development team, they hit their targets month after month after month after month. It works because deep work works, and that's. A big part of our our success, I think, is being able to bring that calmness and that focus into whatever we're doing at Devik Earth. And now I'm seeing that how is everything adding up to what you're doing? Because you know, like these are all like pieces of a puzzle that is that has actually led you to be where you're today. Like Devik Earth to me sounds like a retreat for family. <laughs> <laughs> I would want to be there, but you know, like. It's crazy. It's amazing. Like the way you're focused on all these little, little elements, you know, mindful eating and everything. Like, it's just I don't know. Like I, I love it. Like I already love it, and I feel that I have to be there for a retreat. Come, come. We're all come, welcome to come and visit us. We'd love to have you and to show us, show, show you what we're doing. We'd love to have you. You know, it starts from a saying that my mentor taught me. He said, first be clear, then everything will follow." Automatically, and if we have that clarity in what we want to achieve, it makes the rest of the things follow automatically. So I know, Davik Earth, we have to be the best green technology company in the world. We have to be the market leader. We have to bring the best technologies. We need to do、uh, what Apple has done for phones. We need to do what Tesla has done for electric vehicles. We want to make that for green technology, but whereas Tesla and iPhones are only for a fortunate few. We want to make green technology available to that rickshaw wala, that auto wala, that shoe cobbler. We want to bring it into their hands.
so that everyone benefits and do you sometimes like fear not having a blueprint in your hand like i'm asking this question here because i sometimes fear like often you know probably a week after week i feel like i know i want to do this but it it scares me sometimes that how is that going to happen like for me i sometimes even doubt myself that am i dreaming like way too big am i wanting to take it way too big so like when you have the clarity when you have the vision but when you do not have the blueprint how do you keep yourself sane i break it up if we have a big project we then we break it up into small chunk size projects that we can do in our company every quarter we sit together and we say these are our objective and key results or okrs then we have a 90 day work plan week on week that we follow and you're expected to make sure you follow those then every week in your team meeting you're expected to have a commitment from each of your team members which says this is our scoreboard this is where we are right now we're here to win the game right it's like a basketball game or or a cricket game we're not here to lose we're here to win okay and so each person commits this is the one thing i can do this week and i commit to all of my team members that i can do to make sure we increase the score so it comes from that larger vision what we want to do for the company to each section's vision or each department's vision to their OKRs to their 90 day work plan to their weekly commitments to what each individual is doing to make sure that our score goes up and at the end of the day we've won the game would you say a vision without a plan is no that's no use that's no use a vision with the plan broken down into bite sized steps right when we eat food we don't take the whole plate and go like this right we take one spoon or one bite at a time and after every bite or after every little step we don't expect things to happen for us magically yes but we enjoy each bite right that's the key many people don't do that they see only the vision and they say oh, i'm not there yet let me keep running you know instead of just enjoying where they are right now and saying well that was a tough hill i'm glad that's over <laughs> because now i've got a downhill you know if i'm running and so you know enjoy each part of the journey don't keep expectations after like small goals or smaller steps we celebrate when we win no if we make a small win we we celebrate uh, last week for example we won the global uh, the thai venturize uh, global startup challenge which was a big deal we got the prize from the chief minister of karnataka during the global investors meet and we got a cash prize of 40 lakh rupees just 3 weeks prior to that we won the maharashtra startup week award and prior to that other awards as well so we celebrate each big win like these big competitions but we also celebrate the small wins like hey we closed the deal or i got a meeting with a key client or the next generation tech is is ready to launch and we're going to launch it on such and such day we celebrate all of those wins because they're important and just last question from you that looking back from where you started to where you've reached at the initial stages were there people who told you that devik earth is never going to work no not at all nothing like that we were always convinced that what we were doing was the right thing there were customers who doubted saying it sounds too good to be true right but once you put the technology in and they see the results for themselves they says this is amazing this is amazing any last thoughts that you would like to share i think to all of our listeners whatever you're doing have that clarity in your lives first be clear then everything else will follow automatically
and you should definitely run like some classes or some mentorship on how to be that calm <laughs> because i need to learn it reach out to vyav always happy to do so <laughs> thank you dr shikan thank you so much for being with us today thank you it's a pleasure thank you